podcast. I'm Selena Helvey, and I'm joined by Kevin Yaney, the author of the Fourth of July trilogy, which are historical fiction novels set at the time of the Civil War. Today, we're talking about the root causes of the American Civil War. When you think about the American wars, the Civil War really stands alone in terms of the number of soldiers that were killed and the scale of the war, but also the impact it had on our country and the world. Why did this war between the states occur? What really lit the fuse that caused the Civil War? Well, Selena, the overarching issue here is slavery. Um, And I can think of five explosive events that kind of happened in the years leading up, let's say 60 years leading up to the Civil War that really uh, happened. They kind of occurred one right after the other. And uh, it really lit the fuse uh, leading up to the war. So the first one is about the turn of the 19th century. So you get 1800s coming in here. Um, our country had, you know, was really in its infancy. 1776, we had the Declaration of Independence and we fought with the British. And then after that, formed our country, uh, 13 original states. And, um, um, you know, George Washington, our first president, John Adams, our second president, Thomas Jefferson, our third. Um, and the industrial age happened about the time that Thomas Jefferson uh, came to the presidency, 1800. And there were a lot of things about the industrial age um, that really changed the world. So one of the things, one of the first um, things that happened was um, textile mills started to uh, appear, especially in Britain. And there was a demand all of a sudden for um, for uh, cotton. And the American South was perfect for growing cotton. And so all of a sudden we had um, this cash crop that grew very well. And uh, by the time you got to uh, from 1800 to 1850, uh, the United States was supplying 75 percent of the world's cotton. So it was uh, that industrial age. Now, the, the problem was with the industrial age, it was in its infancy and certain industries had developed like the textile industry, but certain had not. And so farming was still primarily done without mechaniz- mechanization. Um, so it was done by hand. Yeah. And when you have um, the kind of production that cotton has, you need a lot of hands uh, to pick it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to plant it, to pick it, uh, to tend the ground. Um, and so there, you know, by the time you got to the middle of the 19th century, there were four million slaves um, in the American South. Um, and uh, most of them were in the cotton fields. So usually you see figures like 60% of all slaves were uh, involved in picking cotton, planting and picking cotton. So the industrial age certainly um, um, had its mark on it. And it's interesting because slavery was really dying during that time because of mechanization. Um, They didn't need uh, 
people as servants anymore to to do that sort of thing. So world powers, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big world powers at that time were Spain and France and Great Britain. And they had all done away during that period of time. They did away with slaves, with slavery. But it's interesting because they were still dependent on slavery in America. Right. And that's where it was. Textiles. Exactly yeah. right. So if you if you wanted the uh, products that you were wearing or in the case of um, uh, sugarcane that was yeah. coming out of the Caribbean, especially you still needed slave labor or you were dependent on slave labor to live your lifestyle. So um, anyway, so that that was kind of the first thing that happened. Okay. The second big thing that happened about that same time had to do with Christianity and what is referred to as the second great awakening. Um, so what was that all about? Yeah. Well, there were um, uh, these itinerant preachers. Primarily, they were from uh, New England or they were from um, Great Britain okay. that came to America. And as America started to grow and uh, expand out into these uh, these areas where there are new uh, towns and, and communities that are starting to grow in new states, these itinerant preachers went out there. Well, they were all abolitionists. Oh, so you will not find a, uh, a, a, a itinerant preacher that is uh, because they're 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 coming out of um, of churches that did not believe in slavery, or they're coming out of areas where slavery is outlawed and and frowned upon. Yeah, New England in particular. Yeah. Um, so Massachusetts, you know, is is uh, producing a lot of, uh, of of folks there. So what's happening is um, they are having these tent revivals all over the place. And what started to happen was uh, people started to convert to Christianity or uh, and that, that was kind of the the unique thing about the Second Great Awakening. Um, as opposed to the first great awakening, the first great awakening happened prior to the American revolution. Okay. And it's where we got denominations like the Methodist, mm-hmm. uh, the Presbyterians and, and, um, um, uh, reformed churches and, and those that, that were planted and became a mainstay in the United States. All right. The Baptist too. Yeah. And All they right. were in the North and South. Then? They were in the North and the South. They okay. were. So what started to happen as these people started to convert and they started hearing these abolitionist preachers talk about, you need to consider as Christ would the downtrodden yeah. and who's more downtrodden than a slave. Than a slave. Mm-hmm. And so there was a huge movement, not only for, um, not only for abolitionist, uh, the abolitionist movement, but it certainly grew out of that. Other things that grew out of that, uh, the second great awakening were uh, rights for women. Okay. It okay. had its, it had its roots there. It really didn't take off right. the way the abolitionists did, mm-hmm. but the temperance movement also came out of that. So there was a, there was kind of a stress on personal piety and, and examining your life and are you living a Christian life and can you support things that are not? 
So we really had our, a, a great social reform that grew out of that. Well, this is what happened. That The Civil War really was fought in the churches first. Okay. Because you started to have um, these people who were siding with, uh, you know, the anti-slavery crowd, the abolitionists. Uh, in church with people who were slaveholders. So you're talking about large denominations. And what happened as the years rolled on, then we got towards the middle of the 19th century, uh, the larger denominations split. So the Baptists split. Mm-hmm. You ever wonder where uh, where the Southern Baptists got their name? Right. Okay. That's where. Hmm. Okay. It split North and South. So did the Methodists. So did the Presbyterians. Um, and so on and so on. I was talking to a friend of mine here a while back, and he was talking about the fact that um, his his um, um, forefathers lived, it's like a great-great-grandfather, lived in southern Indiana. And, of course, Indiana was a free state, mm-hmm. but just across the river from Kentucky, that was a slaveholding state. And so there was a vote in their little church about whether they would support um, uh, slavery or not. And it was voted that they would not support slavery. They would take an abolitionist viewpoint in this church. Okay. And in the middle of the night, those that were pro-slavery came and burned the church down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, it happened in large denominations. It happened in small communities too. Yeah. And it got to the point that, um, and Ulysses S. Grant talks about this in his memoirs. Uh, Grant was raised oh just west of um, Cincinnati Mm -hmm. in a small town. But he said you could go to church every Sunday and hear people um, get up and talk about which side of that line they they stood on. In fact, he said you could hear them talk about treason on Sunday. Hmm. But he also said they were never really sure what they believed about the Bible. Okay, but they were for sure on that. But they were very sure where they stood on the issue of slavery. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where it, it started to divide the church first. And the Second Great Awakening really uh, helped uh, move that along and, and really helped the abolitionists rise. Hmm. Uh, the third fuse is politics. Uh, it's our good old friend Davy Crockett from Tennessee spent some time in the House of Representatives and he hated it. <laughs> And he has a famous quote that says, there's no ticks like politics. Yep. So uh, anyway. I don't really like ticks myself. (laughs) But um, the founders were really split over slavery and they were so split over slavery. When it came time to uh, ratify the Constitution, there were there were. Uh, deep Southern states, representatives from deep Southern states, Georgia and South Carolina in particular, that said that they would not enter the United States if slavery was abolished by the Constitution. It was enough of a threat. Well, there, there were there were big fights over that. Sure. And it was it became so contentious. They realized that they would never, ever get a Constitution ratified if they didn't take slavery off the table. It was wow. probably a, a a bad decision on their part. They kicked the can down the road, but they decided that they would uh, put a moratorium on any kind of um, talk about it within the Congress for 20 years. Basically, they left it for another generation to, to deal with. Wow. 
so that's the first that's that's the first thing that happened um that really caused this to fester yeah and you had groups that were uh from the start vehemently opposed uh to um um slavery the quakers in particular um, the Society of Friends, mm-hmm. uh, that, that were predominant in Pennsylvania, but also in other areas, especially North Carolina. Um, they were very predominant there. And with this westward expansion of the United States tended to grow out and they would, um, eventually become part of the Underground Railroad. Right. Um, but back to politics for a second. Um, one of the things that happened was the westward expansion of states, and there were a series of compromises that happened as that started to uh, take place. Mm-hmm. What states were going to be allowed to be free states, what states were going to be allowed to be slave states. And again, very, very contentious in uh, Congress. Um, during this time, we really had a very weak executive branch. I mean, if you if you think about the time Andrew Jackson was was probably the last strong president that we had before Abraham Lincoln. Okay, and so there was a series of presidents that were only one termers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just not very good at their job, and Congress had all the power at sure. that time. So, of the three branches of government. The executive branch was certainly the weakest. Um, the judicial branch, uh, the Supreme Court had some rulings as you get into the 1850s that were, um, just horrendous. The Dred Scott case comes to mind, uh, where they basically declared, uh, any person of African descent is not a human being. Right. And so they could never be. Terrible. Yeah. It was, it was horrible. But they could never, ever be a citizen, whether they were free or they were slave did not matter yeah. to the Supreme Court. They did not count. So there were some statements like that that came out of, uh, you know, our, our politics. But there were several there were several a series of compromises that the Congress uh, voted on mm-hmm. and put into action that really they were trying to. um Keep everybody happy, and it just made things worse. So in 1820, uh, kind of started these, uh, the Missouri Compromise. Yeah. Um, and the Missouri Compromise basically said the states between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains, which were part of the Louisiana Purchase, mm-hmm. there's going to be a dividing line. And this parallel line, everything north of it will be free, everything south of it will be slave, and that way we can just, we can just, uh, you know, work off of that. Right. Well, um, the, the problem with that is you always run the risk of one side getting stronger than the other. So if there's more, for instance, if there's more Southern states below that line that are allowed in, then there are Northern states, then you have a, 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 a unequal balance within the Senate because yeah. every state has two senators. Right. They were split evenly before the Missouri Compromise. So if one state was let in on in the South as a slave state, then another state in the North was let in as a free state. So you had a, a series of uh, kind of almost right back to back, um, you know, uh, Missouri comes in, Michigan comes in. 
um, Arkansas comes in, Maine comes in. Yeah. And so you, you have all this as you, as you cross the, uh, you know, the, the, to the continental divide, yeah. all these states that are starting to come in. Um, the other thing that happened in 1846 was the Mexican war, the Mexican American war, um, gave us, uh, Mexico ceded what was known as the Texas territory, the New Mexico territory and the California territory. Now uh, that, um, so there were states that were all, you know, south of the line, yes. except mm-hmm. for California, which was split right, right between the, the two. Yeah. yeah. So there, there came a, um, another decision basically. And they said, well, these really weren't part of the Louisiana purchase, but Texas is going to be kind of the big one. Yeah. And it comes in as a slave state, which really upset the abolitionists that you, you got this big state, this yeah. huge state that comes right. in. So it came time for, uh, in 1850 for the admission of California. And there were, um, uh, a, a bit, there was a big push in California to come in as a free state. Okay. And so uh, it's kind of a pushback on Texas coming in as a slave state, but um, th- there were other things at work. The military governor of California at that time was a guy named John C. Fremont. Mm-hmm. Um, he's known as the Pathfinder. Okay. Very controversial guy. Very staunch abolitionist. He was born in the South, um, but he is an abolitionist. And um, so he is a territorial governor of California. Um, and he decides and, and and pushes very hard for it to come in as a free state. Mm-hmm. Well, Congress is not happy about this. California is a big, big, big mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. All right. And they are not happy about it, but they worked uh, what's called the Compromise of 1850. And so this is what they said. We'll allow California to come in as a free state if you allow us to create a new law that says if a slave escapes the South, enters into the free North, anybody in the free North has to give up those slaves because they are the property of a Southern man. Okay. Hmm. And if you harbor those fugitives, you are violating federal law and you can be arrested. You can be prosecuted. Um, This infuriated the abolitionists. It fueled their fire. So this is where you get the Underground Railroad really taken off. Okay. You get people that are hiding fugitives, not just trying to get them across the line to freedom. But they are um, they are actually um, hunting them down mm-hmm. and arresting anybody who gets in their way. Right. These these slave hunters. So uh, it was it was a, a really bad decision, and it caused some other things to happen. So in uh, 1854, four years later, uh, the Kansas Kansas Nebraska Act. Uh, came in, uh, Stephen Douglas uh, is going to uh, become famous for the Douglas, Lincoln Douglas debates. Mm-hmm. He's from Illinois. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the um, the Kansas Nebraska Act. So there's this, these big territories, Kansas and Nebraska, that are uh, a, a part of the old Louisiana Purchase, but they haven't become states yet. Okay. Okay. And what 
the Kansas-Nebraska Act did in 1854 is repealed the Missouri Compromise. It basically said the, the Missouri Compromise is no more. We're going to repeal that and we're going to allow states to decide for themselves what's called popular sovereignty. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. You know, uh, the residents of a state should be able to decide what they want and what they don't want. But this was such a contentious issue that Kansas was going to come first. And what started to happen was this Kansas borders, Missouri and Missouri is a slave state. So there were people who had settled in Kansas who were abolitionists. And what became known as border ruffians came over from Missouri and started to cause trouble for these folks, um, burned down their cities, killed people. Um, so there were these border wars that started happening between what's known as the Kansas Jayhawks, mm-hmm. the, those who supported mm-hmm. uh, abolitionism, yep. the uh, opposed slavery and these border ruffians. Um, out of that grew <clears throat> some people who became very, very famous, like John Brown. Uh, the abolitionist who really led a, a paramilitary group into Kansas. He's from, he's from New York and Ohio. Uh, but he, he leads these people into Kansas and he murders a bunch of people. So they ambush people and, and kill them. And, uh, there's, there's a border war. So it's kind of like I, I said, within the, within the church, there's the first splits, right? Well, the first bloodshed really comes at what they call bleeding Kansas. Um, so those, those wars, uh, those fights that, that happened there, um, we had a really divided Congress. It was in, uh, an overreaching judicial, but, um, what started to happen politically is, Old political groups like the Whigs mm-hmm. um, died. Yeah. They really didn't take a strong enough stand on um, on on slavery, and so uh, they died. In their place came what was known as the Radical Republicans, and so that became a a, a big deal. And there was a lot of division amongst Democrats. Um, some Democrats wanted, okay, why don't we why don't we just all get along? Yeah. You know, they wanted peace. Yeah. Um, others were like, no, we've got to push back. We've got to fight this. We've got to get rid of the abolitionist. Yeah. So there was all kinds of political demonstrations that happened, riots, um, all sorts of things that happened. And this, this country was really torn apart um, by what happened. So, um, you know, kind of the fourth fuse is this divided country. Um, I talked about the rise of the abolitionist movement and civil disobedience. Um, there was a lot of writing that happened at that time. So some famous abolitionists would be, uh, uh, Henry David Thoreau yeah. and, Harriet uh, Tubman. Harriet Tubman. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote uncle Tom's cabin. Yeah. William Lloyd Garrison, um, uh, was a, a, pr- a premier, um, abolitionist and he published newspapers, mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. that talked about it, his kind of his, uh, the Liberator newspaper was kind of the first abolitionist newspaper that was was put out. Mm-hmm. But um, there was just a lot of things that were happening there. We talked about <clears throat> the fight in Kansas right. that uh, just led right up to the the Civil War. So there was a lot of talk about secession in the South. Yeah. And it had been going on, like I said, since the beginning of the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Every time something happened that the, that looked like there was going to be a, a a balance of power that was going to go towards freeing the slaves the 
southern states, the deep southern states especially, would talk about leaving. Yeah. And there were several threats that just kept happening over and over and over again. So every time one of these compromises would come up, they would threaten, if you go too far, we're we're out. We're going to form our own country. So this was nothing when it came time for 1861 and the start of the Civil War. This really was nothing new. Yeah. Um, but it, it had been going on for a long time. Lots of um, uh, the talk of succession. Um, as we get into the 1850s and that decade prior to the war um, took a, a more radical turn. Mm-hmm. And so there were those people who were in power, who were Southern um, um, politicians who had control of things like um, war money, um, where arms were going to be stored and things like that and started to actually arm the South, put arsenals in the South. Mm -hmm. um, In preparation. In preparation because they knew that war was coming. So they started to move things around uh, Mm -hmm. that way. And um, um, our 15th president, uh, James Buchanan had a horrible presidency. Most people think he's the worst president we've ever had. Okay. He just was a hapless leader, but he really enabled uh, these Southern politicians to do this sort of mm-hmm. thing. And he really didn't get in their way. Yeah. In fact, he aided them, even mm-hmm. though he was a Northern Democrat, he, he aided them in, in what was coming and just seemed to be unable to really comprehend what was happening right. in his administration right under his nose. Right. Um, his secretary of war was a Southern uh, uh, gentleman and, and um, 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 started moving a, a bunch of the um, arsenals to the South in a preparation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that most people don't realize is um, the um, Louisiana state seminary of learning and military Academy became LSU. Louisiana State University, and they had an arsenal, but they also started a school that trained officers like West Point was training them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Their first first, uh, person that they called on to do that was William Tecumseh Sherman, Mm. who was going to become Mm -hmm. a famous general for the North. Right. And so he helped them launch what became LSU. (laughs) <laughs> and and train people to be military leaders. He had been to West Point himself. He's a West right. Point grad, cadet there. Anyway, um, but he was incensed when he realized later. What they were really doing. What they were really doing. And he felt duped. Yeah. You know, you've helped me to basically. Arm yourselves against our own country. Exactly right. You're committing treason. Yeah. And he realized that he realized it too late. Lots of riots that happened uh, up to this point. It was a very, very dangerous time, actually. Um, the Copperheads, interesting group. The Copperheads or the Peace Democrats were very prominent um, in the late 1850s and early 1860s. And um, so the Copperheads, as they were called. Um, Did you say the word peace? 
Democrats. Peace Democrats. With the word copperhead. Yes. Yeah. Which is a snake. It is. Yeah. <laughs> they called themselves peace Democrats. Okay. The Republicans called them copperheads. Okay. Because what they claimed was they are talking about peace and keeping mm. peace at any cost, mm-hmm. but they're really venomous. Yeah. You know, they'll bite you. Yes. So you don't want to follow them. So, yeah, there was a, a lot about that. Um, the other thing that happened during this time, 1859, um, John Brown, uh, again, came on the scene yeah. and John Brown decided he was going to lead a slave rebellion. And what he tried to do was take over the arsenal at Harper's Ferry. At that time, it was in Virginia. Mm-hmm. It, it's now in West Virginia. Yeah. West Virginia became a state after the Civil War. But there was a large U.S. arsenal there. And so he had a group of men, um, it called it John Brown's Army. And they um, did go down and take possession one night of the arsenal and then and killed several people in the process. But what they were trying to do was uh, gain access to all these weapons that were there. And and there were like hundreds of thousands of of weapons. Yeah that were manufactured there. So they're going to gather those. They were going to free slaves, liberate them mm-hmm. and have them turn on their masters. Okay. Okay. When word got out about this, um, they were the townspeople basically trapped them within in, inside a firehouse. Several of them were, were in gunfights were killed uh, mm-hmm. during the night. And um, so w- what happened was uh, uh, at that time, Colonel, Robert E. Lee mm-hmm. uh, came out of Washington. He was uh, um, uh, leading the U.S. Marines mm-hmm. and they um, surrounded uh, this firehouse and uh, um, then captured John Brown and his men. And he was um, and he was tried and he was hung. And that was kind of the final straw for the abolitionist John Brown was a saint. Right. Their protector, really. He, he was their protector. Yeah. He was the man who really was pushing things forward. Yeah. So all if you were an abolitionist, you just thought he was he was great. If you were a slaveholder, he was the devil. Yeah. And so it was very devices, but um before he was um before he was hanged, John Brown made a statement. And he said that um, the sins of this nation would be paid for in blood. And uh, it was kind of a chilling statement that he made, uh, but he was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he was right. Okay. I told you there were five fuses. Yeah. Here's the fifth one. Okay. okay. The election of both 1856 and 1860, the presidential elections. Mm -hmm. So what happened in 1856 was it was the first time that the Republican Party had um, put anybody on the ballot. They had just formed and they were called the Radical Republicans. Mm -hmm. And they were built really on one plank. And that was they were an anti-slavery political party. They were all about freeing the slaves. Remember old John C. Fremont from California? Yep. Okay. Who insisted on California coming in. Mm -hmm. He was the presidential, uh, he was a Republican nominee uh, for uh, the presidency Mm -hmm. in 1856. He was beaten by James Buchanan. James Buchanan was a Northern Democrat. 
Um, and again, during that 1856 election, the Southern states was basically saying if Fremont's elected, we're out. Right. Um, so that didn't happen. Buchanan was the weak, weakest president. And so we talked about that in 1860. Um, Abraham Lincoln becomes the Republican nominee and the Democrats are divided and the Democrats put up three candidates to run against Lincoln. Okay. Uh, and that's interesting in that 1860 election, there were so many uh, people that, that really didn't disliked Lincoln, especially in the South. There's a lot of Southern States um, that refused to put him on the ballot. Oh. So it kind of sounds familiar, sounds doesn't familiar. it? Sounds familiar. Yeah. So this has been done before. So they refused to put him on the ballot, hoping that one of these three Democrats would win. But the Democrats basically split the vote. Right. And Lincoln was elected. uh, One of the most controversial elections in our history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, both of of Lincoln's uh, elections, 1864 was as well. Very, very contentious. But all of a sudden, all this treasonous talk uh, becomes a reality. Yeah. So after Lincoln is elected, but before he's sworn in, seven states leave wow. the United States. Mm-hmm. And in 18, early 1861, they form a new nation. So we're off and running. And those are, the, those are my five, big five fuses. fuses, big fuses yeah. that led to the, the Civil War. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. If you are a fan of the 4th of July trilogy of books, we would be grateful if you would leave a rating on goodreads.com. You can find a link for each of the books at www.4thofjulybook.com. Simply click on the links and let us know what you think. If you would like to schedule Kevin Yaney to speak to your group, go to 4thofjulybook.com and click on the About the Author link. For Kevin Yaney, I'm Selena Helvey.